ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast. This is your host, Walker Near. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's show is no guest whatsoever. It's just going to be me sharing some different thoughts. Uh, I share some thoughts and insights on kind of the political environment at large, not not really trying to be in a partisan politic kind of thing. Um, also talk about Amazon a little bit and then about Damian Lillard. Uh, thank you again so much for tuning in. As always, today's music, production, and artwork is done by Misha Zarek. All right, so on the walk show, um, you know, so far we've, we've talked about a wide variety of topics, but something I've kind of steered away from is, is politics. Now, you know, on my, I think the very first episode, I talked about Roger Stone, uh, who's obviously a, a Republican um, asset or I don't know, whatever you want to call him. Um, so there, there's some, you know, some politicization there. And, and politics has come up briefly in, in, in some other shows, but there are so many places that if, you know, if you as a listener want to go listen to opinions about partisan politics or thoughts about partisan politics, there's a, a lot of places you can go to get that information and, and to get those viewpoints. Um, and I don't really know that I have a lot more to contribute to that conversation or anything, you know, to add that that's, that's not already out there. Um, I I think that I think that it's, it's something though that 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 I would like to talk about, and it's it's not about the right or the left. Um, you know, just to to be as, as transparent as possible, I am personally someone who's who's more on on the liberal side. I'm not a registered Democrat or, or anything like that, but um, at least as long as I've been of, of age to vote, I've I've pretty consistently found myself aligning with, you know, candidates from the left. Um, but the, what I want to talk about today about broader politics in general is really just the, the kind of the, the Trump phenomenon. And I, and I, when I say that, what I mean is just that, and again, this isn't in defense of, of Trump per se, but it's just that Trump is, you know, is known as the reality TV show president, and um, he he's that, you know, because a obviously he was a reality TV show star, and there's a lot of drama, and he says a lot of really incendiary things that riles people up, whether that be his opponents or whether that be his base that loves that he's, you know, saying the things that he's saying, whatever that is, and so it just creates this focal point for everyone's energy in the context of politics. And I think that the, the, the downside or the danger in that is that it, it and, and I guess really I'm speaking more of, I am speaking on to people more on the left who, who don't like, you know, Trump. It's really easy to make him the focal point of, of all of the problems that you see in politics. It's really easy to say, oh, well, this is this way now, or this is this way now, because, Trump is there. And I don't mean to, to say that he hasn't had an influence or an effect or that he is meaningless because that's not true. However, the, the, it's disingenuous to act as if Trump um, is solely responsible for even the majority of the problems that we face in this country. I mean, he, he certainly has made it okay to, to not be ashamed of being an asshole. 
Um, but to some extent, that's because the people who call him asshole, you know, one finger points out, there's the three fingers pointing back at you kind of thing. Um, you know, and what I mean by that is just that politics were not, especially United States federal politics and, and probably on many more levels than that, but at least that, cause that's, you know, kind of the, the broader category we're talking about here. United States federal politics were not this transparent, awesome process prior to Trump that he has now come in and corrupted. It wasn't this institution that that just looked out for the little guy and always had everyone's best interest at heart and was always transparent and honest. And that's all bullshit. Um, you know, I personally was a pretty big fan of Barack Obama. I miss that. I miss that guy being the 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 image of what I have when I think of president. I miss listening to him speak. I li- miss listening to him, you know, joke around uh, because I thought he was very intelligent and, and funny and insightful and thoughtful and you know things that I wouldn't attribute to Trump. However, despite those things being things that I like about Obama's personality that I don't like about Trump's personality. You know, Obama, the drone killings and the, the drone strike programs were expanded dramatically under Obama from what they were under Bush. Now, to some extent, that's because the technology was also just continuing to grow and expand in that same time period. Um, so probably any president that would have come after Bush would have seen a, an expansion and how that stuff was used. So that's all fine. But it's not as if Obama was just this completely benevolent person that never, that never made a choice that that people should find disagreeable. And what I mean by that is, there's a lot of a lot of killings and stuff going on overseas that aren't sanctioned by Congress. Stuff that if if Trump was doing, people would be on the left at least would be up in arms about he's abusing, you know, his power basically. Um, but those same outcries weren't there when it was Obama. And the problem with that is, is that it's hypocritical. And because it's hypocritical, it it discredits people now wanting to cry out against Trump. And again, I'm not a Trump fan. I don't, I don't, I don't, I hope so much that he doesn't win again. Um, when he was elected, I, I, I should say when he announced he was running, I used to say that I thought it was, it would be funny if he was elected because I thought there was no chance. And so I was like, oh, please make him your nominee of Republicans. Oh, please. I can't wait for the general election. This will be so hilarious. It may destroy the Republican party. None of that happened. Instead, he won. And uh, it's not funny. And I wish that I hadn't wished for that. Um, but despite all of that, again, he's not the only he's not the guy that has has made it messy in Washington. Um, and I say this because if we if we try and pin all of the problems with American politics or all of the problems with our culture on Trumpism or on the rise of Trump, uh, we're never going to solve the problem. We're never going to get past it because it's not, it's not him. It's like 1984, the book or, or the film, but the book where they have the, the everyone goes to the room and there's the face of hate. Now that's an external enemy, but they all, everyone projects their, their anger and their problems onto this one, this one individual who's really just an, an image to them. Well, that that's in a lot of cases, I feel like what Trump has become. People have, these problems or see these injustices or see these issues. And so they cry out 
to that Trump is is responsible. And while he may not be helping these problems, he's not solely responsible. If you don't like Donald Trump and you don't like something that Donald Trump does and you spend your time trying to be an activist against Trump, I think you have to ask yourself, are you also an activist against the Republican-controlled Senate? Because if Donald Trump was gone, a large amount of the policies that, that he advocates would still be there. Uh, you know, President Obama once said in an exit interview about Trump when asked about what he thought of, of uh, Trump, you know, taking over for him. He said that Trump is a, a pragmatist and that hopefully and, – and, you know, that meaning that as, as, a, as opposed to an idealist where he has this set of ideals that kind of shapes and informs his, his future decisions – he doesn't really have an idealism like that that he sticks to. And so by being pragmatic, it's more that he's willing to, you know, look at, at whatever the circumstance is kind of in a vacuum almost and try and make the best decision for that circumstances given, you know, the, 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 the scenario or the, the, uh, the options that he, he sees. Um, and I would actually, I mean, I think that's, you know, accurate and, it's actually shown itself to play that way. The difference is, is I think Obama thought that maybe Trump would be willing to be more center on certain things because because of that pragmatism. So maybe he would be willing to work with people from you know a different philosophy um, because he doesn't really necessarily have this this underlying guiding philosophy in the same way that that more traditional politicians do. Um, while I think that Trump is a pragmatist, I think that it didn't work out the way <laughs> that Obama maybe thought it would. Instead, the way it worked out is that because Trump doesn't have his own personal ideology in that same way, he's a pragmatist to the whims of his base and to the whims of of whatever the, he thinks the Republican establishment is is looking for. And so he is willing to kind of do whatever he thinks makes the most sense in the the context of the political party that he's now affiliated with. So I think that, which, you know, you see that when, like, um, when he made a decision, and I, I think it was about the wall back in, in December, and Ann Coulter came out and, and, uh, and accused him of being a liar and being not a good president because he didn't, um, he, he he didn't he wasn't going to fulfill his promise based on that and he immediately flips he immediately turns the other way and then tries to chase that approval still and and again you know right or wrong love it or hate it, it it it's the way that he operates and people are so hung up on on the way that he operates and so hung up on the character that he is again he he's not the the sole problem here if you if, again if you don't like if you don't like that Trump built the wall or wants to build the wall, I should say, then Senate can stop him. Well, they did, right? Except then he declared a national emergency. Well, guess what the Senate didn't do? Stop that. So, you know, as much power as Trump has, he's not king. He had, There is a system of checks and balances. The problem is, is that the congressional oversight that's supposed to exist doesn't. Now, yeah, with the Democrats taking over the House, you have a little bit more of that. But but again, I, I think what we fall, what we fall into is this it's this partisanship this he said this teams thing, and it doesn't it doesn't actually move the needle anywhere, and it doesn't actually bring us any closer to getting people united behind common causes. 
Um, I don't know. I, I just think that the, the, the reality show president and his celebrity has, has just completely warped people's perception of, of what politics should be. And I don't, it's not all his fault. It, it's the people's fault because people want to be engaged and want to be contributing and want to have opinions on this stuff. And it's really easy to have those thoughts and opinions on Donald Trump because it's right out there all of the time. But again, if you solve Trump, you don't solve you, you don't solve the political problems that, that you think you have. And I, I can't even say I, I don't even mean to paint it like because the Republicans would still be there and so they're the only issue. Because they're not. I think that the the single biggest issue in politics is is simply money in politics. Money buys the influence. And, you know, you can say Citizens United is more of a right-wing thing, but that was a decision by the Supreme Court. Um, and and so as long as there is – as long as money is considered a form of free speech, there's probably going to continue to be too much money in politics, too much influence from that money. And that's true on both sides of the aisle. That's not just a Republican thing. Everyone wants to point to the NRA is this horrible thing for, for Republicans. Well – Bankers are pretty in good with the Democrats and, and the financial industry is one of the crazier industries in, in America. I think probably only surpassed by healthcare as far as the, the level of corruption and um, for lack of a better term, unfairness that they get to, to play with. Um, Anyway, I, you know, again, the, the point that I'm trying to make is just that if you want to be invested in politics, you should you should zoom out a little bit and understand that Trump is not is, is if you solve Trump, if we if we vote Trump as the American people vote Trump out of office in 2020 and try and go back and things just, you know, because we hope that they'll return to the way they were under Obama, we're just going to find we're just going to find the same problem. Um, there's this hypocrisy, uh, there's this hypocrisy in, in wanting to, to wield shame as, as a weapon when, when the people who are wielding it have their own, their own shame, their own stuff to be ashamed about. Um, and that's, that's what Trump did is he just said, I don't, I, I don't care. I don't care if you try and tell me I'm ashamed. I don't care what you think. And I don't have to. And then everyone who's a supporter of him went, oh, yeah, I don't have to care. I don't have to care what you think. You know, uh, President Obama was responsible for – I can't remember the guy's name now. Uh, yeah, I can't remember the guy's name. I, I would just be making something up if I tried to, to, to come up with something. But whatever. There was this, this um, Muslim cleric, I think Imam I think is the title, but Muslim cleric who – was in the United States right after 9-11 and immediately following 9-11 kind of became the face of um, of Islam in America and, and was doing all these – this media tour, if you will, and doing all these different interviews with different people in the media where he's um, trying to explain that the, the people who are responsible for 9-11 do not represent the larger Muslim community um, and that – that Islam is not a religion of, of violence or hatred, uh, which was all very much needed at that time because there is a very 
um, bigoted reaction after 9-11 to, to want to, to associate anyone who's affiliated with that religion, which is crazy because literally, you know, billions of people. Um, anyway, that guy over time radicalized now, you know, had moved to Yemen and in Yemen was, was preaching, um, against the United States and, and talking about being violent against the United States. Certainly, you know, I'm not a fan of that. I don't want someone to, to, to kill us or kill me or, or hurt us or hurt me or anything like that. Right. But this guy's an American citizen living abroad who maybe is saying and doing some dangerous stuff. However, he hadn't been tied to a specific plot and the Obama administration authorized a drone strike that went and killed that guy and subsequently killed his son and his son was attending a birthday party and uh, when he was killed. And so several of his son's friends were also killed by this drone strike. I mean, that, that you know, American citizens are supposed to be granted a trial. They're supposed to be due process. They're supposed to be, you're not supposed to just be executed. Um, so, you know, I don't know how, I don't know how you can look at something like that and, and not be up in arms about something like that, but then, but then be up in arms entirely in, in the world of Trump. And maybe that's because Trump, Trump's rhetoric feels more domestic largely, uh, so it feels closer to home or feels like it matters to you more. Again, my point is just that the, the system wasn't this, this immaculate thing that Trump has corrupted. The system was bad before, and if anything, Trump had the audacity to just say what it was and just not really care about about what people about what people think. He, he stopped trying. He took away the veneer. And what we see now is what the system has always been, but that no one ever wanted to admit. And, and the thing is, is that's why, I mean, that's why no one liked Hillary, right? That's why Hillary was so largely disliked, was people didn't think they could trust her. They didn't think she was honest, which speaks to the exact point that I'm trying to make, that, again, Trump or Trumpism is not, it, it's a it's a product of where, of where we were. It's not, it's not the thing creating where we are now. So yeah, I just I hope people can can understand it. And, and, and really, what that means is, when it's time to vote next year, you you don't just vote for the president. You do need to vote for up and down the ticket for for senators and congresspeople. And again, I'm not even advocating that you should just vote, you know, Democrat or that you should only vote for for liberal or progressive candidates. You should vote whoever you think makes the most sense. But just know that 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 unless we advocate for a greater change than just getting a better personality in the White House, things things aren't gonna things aren't gonna be any different. It's gonna be largely largely the same. I would say if you're looking for some good insight on, on this kind of take on politics, um, a couple of podcasts that, that I check out that I, I strongly recommend. And one is the Intercept. A couple of journalists, Glenn Greenwald and Jeremy Scahill. There's other folks that work there as well. Glenn Greenwald is probably most famous for his involvement with Edward Snowden, who was the journalist that, that Edward Snowden released a lot of those documents through. 
Uh, and, then, and then Jeremy Scahill is the guy who wrote the book on Blackwater, which was the, the contracting, the private military contractor uh, over in, in Iraq and Afghanistan. He wrote that in the, the mid 2000s. And then also wrote another book and, and subsequently made a documentary called Dirty Wars. It's all about the U.S. presence over in the Middle East you know, in the Obama administration. Really fascinating documentary that Dirty Wars. <clears throat> but again, the, the podcast Congressional Dish with Jen, Jen Briney, she covers Congress exclusively and she, in a very unpartisan way, looks at both sides and, and kind of tries to give an honest take on, on what's actually going on. And then The Intercept is, is a similar thing in, in that they... They try really hard, and I think do a good job of, of being nonpartisan and making 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 news about what's actually happening in an objective way as possible, without getting in, into you know, trying to be on advocate for one side or the other. But yeah, intercept and, and congressional dish definitely. Amazon, obviously a uh, pretty popular uh, company, uh, I think most expensive stock, well, that might not be true, Berkshire Hathaway or something might be, whatever, I'm not a stock person, so I don't even know why I went there, but <laughs> regardless, um, I saw something the other day where Amazon announced that they're going to move um, Prime membership delivery times will go from two-day guaranteed shipping to one-day guaranteed shipping. And in response to that, uh, their competitors, I think Walmart and Target, saw a dip in their their stock. You know, following that announcement from Amazon, and I just thought that that was kind of funny because it, it implies that you know, because Amazon's doing this, they've got some um, you know competitive advantage, and, and so you know they'll steal customers from you know those other places. And I just. I, I, maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm in the minority here, but I just don't fully understand um, who that is. You know, like who who knows about Amazon Prime and and is not currently a customer, so that means they think that it's not worth it right now. But the thing that's preventing them is that one day of shipping. Like, who is that? Who's fine with waiting a week for shipping? Two days not good enough, but one day they'll cut it. Like I, I just it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And what are you ordering from Amazon that you need that fast? Like I like the two day shipping just because it allows me to be, um, you know, kind of lazy. I guess because I can I can get something pretty quickly without having to really go to the store or whatever. But it's not that not that big of a deal really. And one day shipping 
certainly doesn't really add that much more value to me. I mean, I guess it's fine, but <laughs> who really cares? Uh, you know, like I, I personally order toilet paper from Amazon. Now I order that in bulk through their subscribe and save thing. I guess maybe if you were were you know needing some of that, then the the faster the shipping time, the better. But it, if you need toilet paper, one day turnaround isn't going to save it for you if you're not doing if you're not planning ahead. If you're planning ahead, you could plan for the two days. If you're not planning ahead, one day is still not fast enough. You're going to have to go to a physical store to to get these things. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess if you live in some rural area where it's a huge problem to get to the store, but then you, you know, I don't know that Amazon's one day shipping is guaranteed no matter what address you live in. I know that, you know, I know in some bigger cities, they do just a few hours turnaround time, you know, in the larger cities, but like in the city I live in Springfield, Missouri, that's not an option. You don't, you don't see that, you know, at best you get the two day shipping. So I guess my point is, is you're going to have to go to a physical store, which is the Targets and the Walmarts and you know, grocery stores and places like that. So who, who is this for and why are these other companies, why is everyone selling the stock of these other companies in, in wake of this announcement? <laughs> I just don't, I don't understand who they're afraid of. Uh, but I guess maybe that's why, like I said at the very beginning, I'm not a stock guy and, and maybe I don't have the sophistication needed to understand um, why that is. So I started watching the, the NBA playoffs recently, which means that uh, I've been exposed to TV commercials again. I don't normally watch television. Uh, to be clear, I, I consume a lot of stuff on the Internet, so it's not that I have some like holistic, good, healthy life where I don't have a lot of screen time, infinite screen time. However, um, I, I, again, I don't really watch just you know television that often, so I don't see those kinds of ads because on the Internet it's really easy to block ads. Uh, but with TV, it's not. One of the commercials that I've seen over and over again, just probably the worst part of commercials, is just the, the frequency that you see the same ones. Anyway, one of the ones that, that's on a lot is, is an Amazon commercial, and it's this Alexa ad where this girl is is like outside practicing soccer, like kicking a soccer ball around, and it's getting dark. And her mom looks out, and I don't, I don't know if the girl misses the ball, or I don't know. I don't, somehow, the, the mom looks out and sees the girl playing and sees that it's getting darker. And so she, she, she's kind of watching her, and then she, she looks over and says, Alexa, turn on the backyard light. And then this light comes on in the backyard, and the girl looks up at the window and, and grins real big at her mom, and her mom gives her this, like, knowing, like, you know, I got you, fam, you know, kind of look. And it's, it's just completely absurd. Like, is, a, is Amazon really creating moments by operating a light switch? I mean, it's not like Alexa's, like, lighting a torch and riding a horse to alert us that the Brit- British are coming. It's literally a light switch. Like, it's not, it's not that tr- tremendous. Um, I mean, a light switch is one of the easier things that we have to operate. Like all the things that I've wanted to be saved from operating light switches, isn't really one of them. I mean, you could do, you can operate a light switch with, with your finger. You could, you know, just, just hold your arm rigid and just wiggle a finger to do it. You could, you could hold your hand limp and, and just kind of flip your wrist and, and hit the light switch by just flicking your wrist, you know, at it. Uh, you could even make your whole arm limp and just from the elbow, you know, or, or the shoulder. Like, there's just, it's just such an easy task. And it's just, I don't, I mean, it's fine 
if there's some mild convenience in, in in not having to walk across the room, but this notion that Alexis like created this moment by it is just it's just completely absurd. I mean, either the light switch is in the same room with the mom, so if she really cares about her daughter's you know soccer practice or whatever that much, you could walk her happy ass over and turn the switch on there, or or more than likely the switch is actually close to the the, the exterior door to the backyard that the little girl is, you know, 30 feet from. Being a soccer player, I think you, you definitely have to be able to cover 30 feet over and over and over again in order to participate. I feel like she could walk that 30 feet and flip the switch that's just inside there to turn on that light. Um, I don't know. It's just, you know, it's, <laughs> it's just not that significant. However, Amazon makes this, you know, this really meaningful... You know, we, we're building families or some shit is what they're going for. I just, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess, I guess like if you, if you weren't, um, if you didn't have arms or legs and you had to operate the light switch with your mouth, you know, like you had to like go over and put your mouth on it and then use your neck and like then, then it's good. And I guess then Alexa is still allowing you to operate it with your mouth because you're, you're talking, but Outside of that, I just, I don't see, um, I just don't see these, <laughs> this moment in this way. And, uh, you know, if, if Amazon wants a commercial to, to, to win me over, how about they stop their stupid feud with Google? Um, then you can say, well, they're competitors, so why wouldn't they, you know, why would they support one another? Well, you can watch, you can stream Amazon through their own device, like the Fire Stick or Fire TV. You can also use a wide variety of other streaming devices such as the Roku. However, you cannot use the Chromecast. So, like, if you've got an Amazon tablet and you want to stream from that to a Chromecast, you can't. It won't. It won't. It won't allow it. Why? There is no reason. It's just some weird pissing contest between these companies that I don't. I don't. Don't fully understand because, again, they're not. <laughs> they're not doing it with literally every competitor. I mean, like, at least Apple is a, a walled garden and no one gets in. Like, Apple controls everything. But with Amazon and Google, they, they pretty much let everyone in except one another. They're just mutually exclusive, but anything else is fine. Uh, anyway, in, in conclusion, Amazon is not building families with this, <laughs> with this Alexa stuff. Uh, that commercial is terrible. Uh, one day shipping, who gives a shit? What needle is that moving? And, uh, and yeah, Amazon and Google... Please stop feuding. Please let me stream content through through your devices without me having to go and buy all this all this different stuff. Like on the Alexa, you, you can't listen to if you have Google Music or something. You can't listen to that. You have you can do Spotify, so you don't have to do Amazon's music service. Just can't be Google's music service. Anyway, I digress.
So I've been an NBA fan for quite a long time, and um, my favorite player for the longest time, my, my first player that I attached myself to, I guess I should say, is, is Allen Iverson. Um, and then he was subsequently replaced by Kobe Bryant. Uh, loved Kobe for a very long time. It was really hard to, to watch him go through that. Well, I say really hard. It wasn't <laughs> it wasn't actually that emotionally draining. But it sucked when he when he tore his Achilles and, and his career kind of ended at that point. I mean, he played for another few years, but it was never really the same. Um, and And so since that's been true for the last few years, my interest in the NBA has been a lot more uh, at a distance. I still watch highlights and I still kind of follow, you know, transactions in the league and that sort of stuff, but I haven't really watched games as often. Uh, I do like LeBron. I think that LeBron's, um, just what he's achieved is, is remarkable. I, I was just talking the other day about how, uh, you know, I grew up when Michael Jordan was at his, in his prime. Um, and, and Michael Jordan is obviously probably the most famous basketball brand ever and and I always just kind of thought of it as something that was just a natural progression or occurrence because of how good Jordan was um, and so then when you know LeBron is probably the next player that really has captured that same level if, if, if not more but at least a, a similar level of of, uh, of of you know power through fame I guess you could say as as Jordan Um. And, and I now realize, having watched LeBron's entire career, I mean, I remember when I was in high school, LeBron is, graduated a year after I did. I remember reading in Slam Magazine, this, this, this basketball magazine, LeBron wrote a monthly column his senior year that was just kind of all about what it was like to be him, what it's like to be this high school phenom that, that has all the expectations of the world, you know, kind of on his shoulders. And then have just watched him and followed him since then, all the way through till till now. Um, and and I, the point I'm trying to get to is that I, I realize that LeBron's brand um, is not just a product of how good he is or, um, or or his talent. It's something that he's built. It's something that you know. I mean, his talent and his success in the NBA obviously is kind of the the, the foundation of that, but. The, the personality and, again, the brand, you know, really, I guess is probably the best term that LeBron has built, is just that. It's something that he's built. And I now realize in hindsight that that's true for Jordan, you know, as well. Um, you know, you look at, at someone like Kobe Bryant, for example. Kobe Bryant, hugely successful in basketball. Since retiring from basketball, has already won an Oscar. Um, is involved with this sports drink called Body Armor. That's the official sports drink of the UFC. That's got huge success. Started a venture capital fund that, from things I've read, also has been very successful. So, lots of talent, lots of success. But Kobe Bryant is not the same stat status as LeBron when it comes to being kind of a household name. Or you know, if you follow basketball. Obviously, both of those guys probably seem pretty equivalent as far as their their fame level, if you will. But if you don't follow basketball, like my mom, for example, doesn't really know who Kobe Bryant is. wouldn't Wouldn't recognize him in a, in a crowd. LeBron James, though, she knows that name. Now, I don't know if she would recognize his face, I guess, but she knows who that is and, and what he does. Um, yeah, it's just it's just crazy. And, and I guess kind of where what made me think of all that, like I said, I just started watching the playoffs again. Um, is that I think I have a new a new player 
to replace Kobe as my, you know, with my fandom. And that, that player is Damian Lillard. Um, Damian Lillard hit a huge shot in game seven of the playoffs in the first round against Oklahoma City to, to close out the series. One of the more exciting plays, you know, certainly this season and, and probably within the last few years. Um, just a really, a really great, great moment. But, you know, I've been following Damian Lillard for a few years now, and the consistency of his character is impressive. The guy is, is, is by all accounts, pretty laid back seems to be pretty grounded and humble. I mean, they asked him one time recently about pressure and about what, what, what it was like to deal with the pressure of the NBA. And he said, you know, we play a basketball game and we're paid a lot of money to do so. And yeah, there's pressure, but that pressure is, um, isn't, isn't real. I mean, there's challenges for sure, but pressure is, you know, the, the the homeless person that doesn't know where their next meal is going to come from or where they're going to sleep or the pressure is the single mom that's trying to uh, you know take care of her, her family and provide for her kids like that is pressure um, not <laughs> not if the millionaires win their game or not because guess what they're still millionaires you know either way um, one thing I always loved about Kobe was Kobe always seemed to be kind of just above the pettiness of everyone else and, and Dame Lillard seems to embody that as well you know in the Oklahoma City series that he just won a, a little over a week ago he was very um, he was very measured and everything I mean yeah he went back and forth with Russell, West, Russell Westbrook the, the, the star from OKC but Westbrook was really going at Dame Lillard he was all in his face he was trying to intimidate him he was trying to yell at him he was doing this thing where he acts like he's rocking a baby whenever you would score on Damian Lillard I guess trying to imply that Damian Lillard is just his little baby or whatever and then Damian Lillard dropped 50 on him uh, in in the final game including a, a shot at the buzzer to win the game and, and send Oklahoma City home and the, the look he had on his face is just it's just awesome it's, it's almost emotionless uh and he just did this little this little cute wave over to the Oklahoma City bench, and I don't know, it was just it was, it was awesome. And then after the game, you know, he was talking about how you know the other team seemed to like to celebrate after they had one win, but his team, their goal wasn't to win one time; it was to win the series, which is four wins. And then after that, they're not done. They you know they've got the next series, so to them, there's nothing to celebrate at that level because. They haven't, they haven't accomplished their goal yet, and that's something that Kobe used to talk about all the time. So, kind of tie it in a little bit to the LeBron thing, the issue with, with Dame Willard that's interesting is that despite him being this good and despite him having this kind of fame wave, if you will, after that, that big play a couple weeks ago, he, um, he, doesn't really, he doesn't really have the same status that, that a LeBron could. It's just not... A similar, it's just not a similar level at all. Um, there's not, there's not that same recognition, and I don't know that there ever will be, regardless of how good he gets. I mean, maybe if he wins title after title, something like that could, could show, but I just don't see it happening um, anytime soon. And, and I think it, it's not because he's not talented enough; it's just because there's so much more that goes into to building that brand um, than just what you do on the court. 
Um, either way, officially, I would, I'm advocating for, for Dane Lillard. I would say if, if you're an NBA fan, you should definitely be, uh, be checking him out if you're not already. I think it, most people are pretty familiar with him now after after that play a couple weeks ago, though. I, I saw the NBA 2K, the, the most popular basketball game. The Trailblazers' usage rate among 2K players has gone up 67%, I think, since, since that playoff game. So certainly it's something that has been recognized by uh, the, the, the NBA fans at large. going to do it for today's episode. Thank you again so much for listening. Uh, as always, you can send any comments, questions to walker at the walkshowpodcast.com. Uh, and I also will have some links in the show notes to the Congressional Dish uh, podcast that I talked about, as well as uh, The Intercept. Uh, thanks again for listening. Have a good day.